0: And now, here's the episode. All right. Well, there you are. Good morning. It's really good to see you guys on Time Change Sunday. How about that? Interesting phenomenon. More of you were late than usual. What's that about? I don't know. It's a mystery. I don't know what, I don't know what to say about it. I don't, We did all we could do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, it's true. More of you were late than usual, but whatever. Um, I had somebody this morning, I just need to, all humility, I just need to be honest. Uh, I had somebody this morning come to me and say, hey man, it was really smart of you for you to plan the grand opening um, on Time Change Sunday so we get an extra hour of sleep. And I had to be entirely honest and say, we did not plan it around this at all. (laughs) We had absolutely no idea. We put it on the calendars months ago. I never thought of it once. Two weeks ago, true story, embarrassing but true. Two weeks ago, I thought to myself, Oh, no, we planned the grand opening on Time Change Sunday, and yep, this is the bad one. Oh, this is the one where we lose the sleep. I blew it. And then no part of my, ma- my mind was like, nope, that's not right. No, I was like, yep, T for true. That is true. And then, then the next Monday morning, I sit down with the staff, and I say, guys, we forgot to plan for Time Change Sunday, and it's the bad one, and we didn't do that right. And they were all like, yeah, I know. Too bad. No one knew, or or maybe they were just like, he's an idiot. Let him think it. I don't. I honest to this moment, I don't know. Okay, and this is what it's like when Natasha's not around. <laughs> it just <laughs> things don't go as well. You you may remember um, when Natasha started her sabbatical, I gave you guys this sort of condescending speech where I was like, okay, guys, you're gonna be fine without Natasha. You all seem fine. I'm falling apart. I'm the one who's like, this is not okay. I need her back soon. Uh, so anyway, uh, we did not plan it. And uh, up until, okay, so when, Aaron, did you know that this was the good time change? Guys, this morning. It was just a few hours ago. And that's the truth. I just felt bad for two weeks. and Then I, then I, wo- I, was, I was working in a room and then I came out and there was a window. And I was like, why is it light outside? Oh, and that didn't dawn on me until then. So anyway, uh, we do not have our act together at all, but welcome to the vineyard anyway. We're really glad that you're here. We're looking at Galatians chapter six. We're in the series called Seeds and Harvest. Uh, We've been working our way through the book of Galatians we're in the last chapter now, so well done. It's been a long journey. We're in that last chapter, last few weeks on this. And uh, the Apostle Paul, the, the guy who wrote this book of the Bible, he's wrapping things up like you do at the end, and he's helping us get the big picture to make sure we don't miss the obvious. And for the book of Galatians, this is the obvious, freedom. This is the letter of freedom, period. If you get only one word, that's the one you get. This is about, this is a declaration of freedom. This is William Wallace. Braveheart, Mel Gibson, freedom. We will not be slaves anymore, freedom. Okay? That's what it's about. But, and we can't miss this part, along the way, he has reworked our default definition for freedom. Hopefully, you remember that, but it's okay, I'm gonna re say it anyway. Uh, Freedom, don't miss it. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want. And, look, I know that's the default definition. You know? You hear it all the time. I'm an American. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. All right. Okay. Sure. If that's your idea of freedom, but that's not freedom. And yet we know better too. And yet that becomes our definition of freedom just by default. We know it's not true. It's just this bonkers idea that lives in our brain that we have to intentionally expel from time to time. Because again, if you scrutinize it at all, it immediately falls apart. If we just do whatever we want, we won't be free. We will actually end up enslaved to everything and to everyone all the time, okay? So I, again, if you consider it all, that's exactly what happens. If I come to you and I said, hey, I'm struggling in my relationships. Will you help me in my relationships? I want to be more free in my relationships. How can I do that? And you said, don't worry, Aaron, I have all the answers. I know exactly what you should do. You should do whatever you want. You should say whatever you want. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. Just let that come on out. Say, don't, just do whatever you want. Don't commit to anyone in these relationships. Don't serve for them. Don't sacrifice for them. Don't be faithful to them. Put yourself first at every turn and that will heal your relationships. And if I was paying attention at all, I'd be like, "Do you are you trying to destroy all my relationships? Are you in love with my wife? What is happening right now?" That's the worst advice ever because but that advice is do whatever you want and you'll be free and it's just not true. Same thing if I said, hey, how can I be healthy? And you said, well, just eat whatever you want and drink whatever you want and consume whatever you want, elicit drug, get after it. It's fine in whatever quantities. You'll be totally fine. Don't exercise. Nobody wants to do that. Do whatever. I would be like, you want me to die? That would be my assumption because it's such terrible advice. Doing what you want is actually not an expression of freedom. One more example. I have a heavy foot. I like to drive too fast. I think speed limits are dumb. I don't want them and I want them all to go away. And I think this many times a week as I look down, slam on the brakes, oh no, I did it again. Look in the rearview mirror for blue lights. Okay, I'm all right this time because I want to go fast, okay? And I think to myself regularly, speed limits are dumb. I don't want them. Usually, especially when I'm driving down 411 South and you go down to like Athens and Madisonville and then all those small towns through there, if you're on your way to northern Georgia, you guys know this trip where it goes from like 65 miles an hour to 25 and about 30 yards and your heart drops and you slam on the brakes and you look for the blue lights again. Usually, somewhere on that trip, I think speed limits are dumb. I wish we didn't have them. I wish I was free to drive as fast as I wanted. And again, that's foolish, and I know this for a fact, if I could drive as fast as I wanted, I would not survive the week. I would be at five days max before I'm dead on the side of the road somewhere, because actually, those limits are giving me freedom, freedom to live, freedom to be safe in my community that I couldn't have otherwise. Okay, so again, you push on this idea, oh, what should I do? I need financial freedom. Cool, buy whatever you want always. Wait, I think that's maybe bankruptcy. So, um, I could go all day with this, I don't have to, you all know it, it's so obvious that it's not interesting. And yet, we still, generally speaking, we still have accepted as a baseline definition for what freedom is, I am do whatever I want. I want to be free because I want to be able to do whatever I want. And so it's just, it's just this bonkers, irrational notion that gets in our brain and it gets knocking around up in there and we just let it stay. I just want to encourage to let, can we expel it once and for all? Like, let's consider, what are the things in my mind that make absolutely no sense? Let's go ahead and get rid. I'm stunned, by the way, by the phenomenally stupid things that can live up here and me just be okay with it. Um, I'll tell you a dumb story. It was a few years ago. I was driving down the road and um, I don't think this makes me a criminal or anything, but if I've got a, a banana peel or an apple core, I'll, I'll throw it out the window. All right, not a bag of trash, but, and not into somebody's yard, okay? But if there's like a field or a, I'll just sling it, I'm feeding the bunny rabbits, okay? So, I'm not a litter bug, please. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll throw it out the window and not think twice about it. Well, anyway, I was driving on the road, I had a banana peel, I threw it out the window. The wind caught the banana peel in a way that I wasn't expecting, probably because I was driving too fast. Um, And the banana peel doesn't make it into the field I was throwing to. It it lands on the other side of the road where oncoming traffic would would go. And here's the thought that honestly inhabited my brain. Okay? Guys, I have degrees. Uh, I thought to myself, oh, no. Bananas are slippery. <laughs> you've seen cartoons? Okay, yeah, you've seen cartoons. Bananas are slippery. This is not okay, and I envisioned in my mind a vehicle, a vehicle weighing thousands of pounds on four radial tires, hitting the banana peel, and then spinning completely out of control because I threw that out the window, and I thought to myself, oh no, this is bad. I, guys, I started to slow down. I started looking for a place to turn around because I got, and my mind is just like, this is true, that's right, that's about right. We got to take care of the banana peel. (laughs) And I started to slow down. This is what, like I thought I was Donkey Kong in Mario Kart, I'm throwing banana peels and there's destruction behind me. That's what my brain thought and was like, yep, that's true. And I almost turned around before I dawned on me, like, Aaron, that's the stupidest idea you've ever had. And you let it stay in your brain for a while, okay? So, guys, we do that. We let these things knock around up there that make no sense. Guys, so many of us by default will think freedom is being able to do whatever I want. Can I just shake you out of that? Can you snap out of that? All right, banana peels don't make cars spin out. And freedom isn't doing whatever you want. By contrast, what we've actually seen in the book of Galatians along the way is that freedom comes from making intentional choices. And stay with me on this. I'm talking about being deliberate. I'm talking about eliminating options. I'm talking about shaping our lives around the things that we value most. Freedom, if we want to be rational about it, is the power to choose the path of wisdom even if that's not the path you actually want. The freedom to choose the path of love, even though maybe that outcome wouldn't be your first choice, it's the power to decide and eliminate the stuff that we might want but we know, ultimately, is going to enslave us. It's it's living the way of Jesus. Because Jesus, who knows everything, was kind enough to tell us the things that make us free. And so we get to live into that. Now that looks like a lot of beautiful stuff, but ultimately, and don't miss this, that looks like love. First and foremost, this looks like love. In the, in the previous chapter, chapter five, the Apostle Paul was so, so, so crystal clear about this. Verse six, he says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. Like at the ver- at very bottom, irreducible minimum. Here's what matters most your faith, your allegiance to the king being expressed in love. And so freedom isn't keeping all the options all the time, even though that can be our default setting. Instead, it's the power to eliminate the options that are hurtful, that are evil, that are corrosive, that are, frankly, unloving. Freedom is making the choice to love one another. Freedom is, and stay with me on this, freedom is accepting that we owe something to one another. Now that runs, that runs counter to our default cultural definitions. So I'll say it again. Freedom is accepting that we owe something to one another. It's committing to other people. So what is it then that we owe each other? I think it's an important question. Especially here in church family, you know, we look around. This is a family of God. We're in this thing together within our church family. What does it mean that I call you my brother or my sister in Christ and, and, and that I love you? Surely that means I, I should have commitments that I make to you and that we make to one another. If we're family, if we love each other, then surely we owe something to one another, What is it that we owe one another? I think that's part of what Paul is teaching us here at the beginning of chapter 6. Let's look at just a couple verses, beginning with verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. So there's no room for arrogance here. It's like, I wouldn't fall for this, but I'll help them out. It's like, nope, nope. Actually, you're subject to the exact same things. So watch out for yourself, but gently restore. And then in verse 2, he says, Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What a statement. There's a whole lot there. uh, A lot that we're going to not get to. But to just state the obvious... We owe it to one another to not abandon each other when we fall. At at minimum, right? Um, Carry one another's burdens, he says, verse 2. I think that's, the the Greek word for that is actually a pretty interesting uh, word. The word burdens um, in Greek means an absolutely crushing weight. A weight so great that no person could carry it on their own. If they did, they would be crushed He goes, those things, they have to be shared. Nobody carries those things by themselves. We share those burdens. And the thing is, we all know this. Life does that to us. Life sends our way absolutely crushing burdens. It's an inevitable fact of life. And Paul is saying to us, hey, your your brothers, your sisters, them being crushed beneath a burden like that, yeah, that's your problem too. They're not to be left falling down, underneath that burden, but you lower your shoulder, get under that, and you join them in, it. and collectively, we carry those as a team. And I'm assuming that, you know, you guys are on board for this. You're like, yeah, absolutely, and I want to be very clear. Um, I actually think we do this really well at our church. I think you guys are really good at this stuff. I think you carry one another's burdens in a way, I, the beautiful, heartening, encouraging stories I hear, man, and the things that I see and have experienced myself—we do this well. But I, I, I still think there's room for growth. I think we can lean into this and grow in, into this idea even further still. So, what this means is, think about it together. What, what this means is that when, when life comes crashing in, like it does, all at once, you know, and then people in this church get blasted. By unbearable circumstances, that means we spring into action. That's what that means. And we're good at that. But it also means, and this is, this is the really hard part. I'll just, um, and I'm, just so you know, I'm offending myself right now. With I know what I'm about to say, and I'm offended by myself because I can be such a hypocrite on this. It also means that when people collapse under the weight of their own bad choices, under the weight of their own sin, under the weight of their own foolishness, under the weight of their own rejection of wisdom and their own failure to walk with Jesus, we still spring into action. You should have said amen. I'll give you another shot we still spring into action. Amen. Yeah. No, and, and look, you don't want to say amen to that because that's hard. <laughs> but again, back to verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, let me, let me break down that wrongdoing word for you. It means doing wrong, okay? <laughs> They're doing something wrong. You, are, you who are spiritual, restore such a person and do it Gently. Carrying one another's burdens, he says, listen, even when it's their own dang fault. Even when they made that bed, right? You know that expression? They made their bed, they can lie in it, right? Um, Something so deep within me resonates with that statement. (laughs) I hear that and I'm like, yeah, you did that. Enjoy. There you are. You put yourself there, live it out. I've got that in my heart. You made your bed, you can lie. It's a rational response, but... It is absolutely not a biblical one. I see the logic. I do. Something in me is like, yep, T for true. Uh, it's just profoundly not the way of Jesus. Even when it's their own sin, Paul says, restore them and do it gently. Gently. That's hard too. Um, gently, by the way, that doesn't mean you can't speak the truth. Of course you can, you must. Uh, It doesn't mean that you coddle them. It doesn't mean that you enable them. It doesn't mean that you can't set appropriate boundaries when it's needed and wise to do so. What it means, and you guys missed the last amen, so get ready. What it means is we bring the same empathy and the same kindness and the same love to those who have fallen, whether it's their fault or not. I don't want to say amen. I'm like, hey, amen. I struggle with this one. But you know why? I Because I'm selfish. That's why. And I'm judgmental. And I'm kind of arrogant. And so sometimes I don't want to do this. But if so, it's just because I, as I unfortunately often do, I've lost sight of the obvious. And the obvious is, that sometimes, sometimes, I fall because I'm a victim. But usually, when I fall down, it's my own dang fault. Usually, when I'm in a mess, it's a mess of my own making. And I forget that. And, and, and my pride then makes me want to treat, for example, an addict differently than I would treat a, a victim. But that's, that's just because I forgot that I could just I could so easily be the next person fighting an addiction. And that's because I forget that in a thousand ways that I will never know, that addicted person is a victim too. I forget. So Paul, verse three, says this. <laughs> I love this. If anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, it's like, did the Bible just call me nothing? Yes, it did. Okay. Uh, he deceives himself. And so we, we kind of started with like, can we make sure there aren't absolutely false ideas knocking around in our brains because it's going to mess us up, like a faulty definition of freedom? And this is another one of those things. He's like, hey, we're trying not to deceive ourselves. The thing is, if I see someone who has fallen down And I don't think that I could be in a second, in the exact same spot, if it's not for the grace of God, then I am absolutely deceiving myself. And I know it's easy to live in that illusion, all right? Take that out of T for true, put that in S for false. My mom taught me not to say stupid, so I'm just saying S when I mean stupid. But it's false, it's false. Okay, Uh, church kids. Sunday school score at, so let me just remind you of something you already know. This should ring a bell. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that it? That's the story, right? That's how we got here? That's what we celebrated earlier? So what that means is Christ rescued us from a mess of our own making. And here Paul is saying, that's plain, plain and simple. That's just how things work in this family. Like you're in God's family now, and there's some like norms, and there's some rules, If you're in this family, that's how you've got to operate too because that's how you got in the family and that's how Jesus did it. And he's our example in everything. Okay, verse four now. Let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. A lot there, but we're going to actually discuss that part next week. Verse five, he says this, I love it. For each person will have to carry his own load. I love the tension in this. Did you catch it? I hope you did. If not, I'll I'll, I'll spell it out to you. Verse four, or pardon me, verse two, he says, carry each other's burdens. You can't leave people carrying their burdens all by themselves, carry them together, you share it. Verse five, he goes, you gotta carry your own load, man. (laughs) And you're like, wait, was that a mistake? No, no, 100% intentional. There's no way this is an accident. Different Greek words here, this is helpful. I remind you, verse 2, where it says burden refers to an absolutely crushing weight that no one could carry on their own. Verse 5, the word here that's translated load refers to the weight of a soldier's pack. It's the stuff we all got to carry. So, what do we owe each other? That's the question, right? Well, just like in any family, we owe it to each other to carry our own weight share responsibility, to do our own part, to walk with Jesus, to take that really seriously so that we can bring the Spirit of Christ to bear in whatever we're facing, to serve, to give, to be there for one another, just like we would in any family. And then, inevitably, when someone falls, we pick them up, we restore them gently, and we keep marching. You guys still tracking with me? There's the burden That no one can bear on their own and we must share. There's the load. that's We've all got to carry our own load. I hope you got that. I'm going to skip a few verses here. I want to look at verses 9 and 10. I think they're closely related. Paul says this. (laughs) It's so true. Let's not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. We're talking about seeds and harvest. and So this doing good is about sowing really good seeds. And you get a really good harvest when you sow really good seeds. And he's reminding us of that. He's like, these are good seeds, man. Um, and at the right time, you will reap. So let's not get tired of doing good. Verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's work for the good of all. All means all. I looked it up. It means all. Let us work for the good of all. But he says, especially for those who belong in the household of faith. Like right, for the family. For, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, like especially for the family. We gotta be there for each other. When one of us falls, we, got, we gotta help them up. We gotta restore them. We gotta do it gently. And then I just love the way he starts verse nine here because Paul, he's the consummate realist, man. He's like, hey, let's just live in the real world and deal with the truth. How about that? So as a realist, he just points out the obvious. Hey guys, don't get tired of doing good because helping people up it's just tiring. You got your own stuff and your own weight and that you're trying to bear your load and do your thing and you, then in the midst of all that, you got to help somebody who fell maybe because of their own foolishness and, and he goes, hey man, I get it. That can get really old really fast. I get it. He said, but come on. Let's not get tired of doing good. I know it's tiring. I know it's tiring, especially, and I don't even know if I should say this. This might just be too honest, but because I know I get tired, especially when it's the same people who need help again and again and again and again and again. It's the same, oh, them again, that same person again. Is it okay that I'm saying this? Is this too honest? I, mean, I know this is church, it's not the place for that, but um, <laughs> that's the trouble, right? Somebody who's just an absolute anchor, and they're just for decades, left foot, right foot, doing their part, and then one day they fall. It's like, yeah, I'll help them up. That's great. But the one who falls again and again, and that's the exhausting part. The people who need this over and over again. I want to spend a couple minutes talking about this uh, and leaning into that idea. <clears throat> I, I want to be clear, though. I'm going I'm to kind of shift gears here and just sort of uh, talk about my own sort of personal learnings and and maybe maybe useful insights. So there's, a, there's a, we're shifting gears here. Uh, the word of God and our King; those are our authority, not Aaron's musings. Okay, so I don't have any more verses planned to read to you. So this is just it's me from here on out. So you can take it or leave it. Okay, that's the disclaimer. But I've learned some stuff, and and in the process, it's caused me to think of think of my own. My own mental wiring differently. Um, I've come to think of my own brain, like my my headspace, as like a like a floor plan. If you picture a blueprint, we actually have images that I think can can help us see it. So there's a there's a floor plan, okay? And so an, an aerial view of a place. And so I've come again more and more to think of my mind as something like this. And then that that big open room in the middle. That's kind of like Well, I should say this first. Each of these rooms sort of represent an emotional state you might find yourself in, all right? Just where you're at in the moment, okay? And there's lots of different rooms, okay? But then the big room in the middle, that's kind of like, that's home base. (laughs) That's neutral. That's default. That's your baseline. It's where you wake up in the morning, you know, in a certain emotional state. And then you see the exit there on the top right. And, And then from there, you can go off into over the course of a day, uh, Into all sorts of different little emotional corners you might find yourself in. So, here's the thing about me. We can go to the next slide for this. Um, I've been given just the most incredible advantage in life. And it just boils down to this. Uh, My parents raised me and our home in such a way that was so profoundly and deeply committed to Christ. Like, it's not an exaggeration Jesus was the air that was breathed in our home, like worship was our food, like it was just it was this constant reality and and of course, they made mistakes and failures for sure, nothing's perfect, but I really had this exceptional upbringing, this exceptional um, foundation that I was given because my parents so so intentionally made it clear that Christ was the center of everything. We were never sitting around debating whether or not we are gonna follow Christ in anything. It was understood, okay? And so because of that, I have this incredible sort of security so that I wake up and my baseline, my home base, my default setting is love. Because when Christ is at the center of everything, he is love. That's, that's where I just, I wake up in love. <laughs> okay, experiencing the love and the security that comes from that. And then we pointed out the exits are to the top right there. The, the largest and nearest rooms for me are, are places like hope and peace and worship and joy. Next slide. What you can see here is like it's a really short walk. You, if you wake up because of the, 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 just the, the privilege of your upbringing and the way in your formative years you were shaped to know and love Jesus, um, when you wake up there, then you, I mean, you can stumble into peace. You really can. And just like, wow, you, you can just find yourself in a place of worship. <laughs> it's right across the hall. Of course you're going to be there again and again and again. Now, next slide, I want to be clear about this. I, I've got all the other rooms too. Lots of negative emotions, all of that. My mind has access to all of those things and I've been there, okay? But to just point out the obvious here and we can go to the next slide again. Um, It's a real short trip to peace or hope or worship. Um, For me, because again, the background that I've been given, um, it's a, it's a hike to get to a place of fear. All right. Like you got to walk out. You got a hard left. You got another hard left. Some double doors. A long corridor. Another double door. Then a left. Another double door. Down another hallway. Then left, and then you can find yourself in a place of fear. You you don't just stumble into fear. You don't just look around and go, "Why am I afraid?" No, it's a hike. It's a journey. And same thing with grief. Um, for me, and this is a bit personal to me, but for grief, it's an even longer path. <laughs> you just continue on. You leave the fear room. You got another hallway, another hard left, long corridor, another set of double doors, two more lefts before finally you, you find a place of grief. When this is your mental break, makeup, you don't, you don't just go, how did I get here? Why am I grieving? No, it takes a whole list of things before you can get to a place like that. I just want to stop right here and just point out something that's so incredibly obvious. Um, for this to be my mental floor plan is the ultimate privilege. Like, I know we, privilege is kind of a buzzword in our society and we've got things that we attach to that and, and, and by, you know, to a large degree it's accurate in doing so. And I have lots of that kind of privilege as well, okay? I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm a male, I am white, I am middle class, I am an American, I'm super handsome. Uh, I'm just kidding, see if you're still paying attention. Um, so like all the things, it's like, oh yeah, lots of privilege, and I've benefited from those realities in ways I can't even comprehend. I don't deny any of that. But to be very clear, that's privilege. That is the ultimate Privilege. I was born on third base because I was raised in an environment where Christ was the air that we breathed. That's the ultimate gift. That's better than a trust fund, I guarantee you. So I want to acknowledge that. And because of that, of course, I experience fear and I experience grief, but it's a hike. Now, okay. Then, about 2016 for a little bit and 2017 for a lot, like, it was awful. Like I, it was really hard stretch. And, and still, I, so many people have experienced way worse than I ever will. I mean, I'm still, in, even then, blessed. But like, man, I just couldn't win. <laughs> and I got discouraged, and I was just kind of stumbling along spiritually, and emotionally I was a wreck. And I just felt like life keep hitting me in the teeth again and again and again. It just wouldn't stop. And I felt like I couldn't breathe. here's what happened. Because of that, I, I had to make the hike from home base to fear. And from home base all the way around to grief, I had to make the hike again and again and again. And, and, and here's what happened. Uh, next slide. Here's what ultimately happened. My, my brain was like, all right, enough of the hiking. I'm just going to blow out a wall. And I'm going to create ready access to fear and to grief. And that's actually very different. I still wake up in a place of love, but it's like, oh, I just now fear is a place I can just stumble into. Like I can look around and be like, why am I in grief? There wasn't a long sequence of events. There wasn't this long pathway, no journey. I'm just I'm just here and I don't even know how I got here. And that's that's really, really different. Now, I want to acknowledge something else here. We can go to the next slide for this. There are a lot of people who have nowhere near the same background or privilege that I do. And they're raised in cultures or environments, realities that were driven first and foremost not by love but by fear. And that's the room they wake up in every day. That's a very different reality. And in the same way, when you wake up in a place of fear... Shame's like right there. Hate is across the hall. I mean, it's right there. Rejection, feelings of poverty, it's just, it's right there. It's not a hike. You do just stumble into a place like that. You could just find yourself in shame and go, how did I even get here? That's a very different reality when that's your baseline. And next slide, as we said, it's now a short path. Into things like shame or hate, or poverty or, or fear, etc. And so again, um, a person with that story—I just want to—we're trying to figure out how to not grow weary in doing good, how to, how to find it within ourselves to lower our shoulder and help that person up yet again. Somebody with that story they're gonna find themselves falling down a bit more. Maybe a lot more. They're gonna find themselves in that shame room and needing help over and over and over again. And maybe it's not their doing at all. Next slide. Um, These folks absolutely have all the other rooms, right? Um, If that's your background, the reality that you're facing, you you still have all the other rooms. Um, But next slide, it's it's a long way to get there. So if you wake up in a place of fear, in a place of shame, a place of rejection, it's not that you can't experience hope, but you're not going to stumble into it either. It's not that you can't experience peace, but you're not just going to hop across the hall and find it. It's a hike. It's a journey. And if that's your background, again, I think these people are going to get discouraged a bit more often. I think they're going to get frustrated a bit more often. I think they're going to be subject to things that perhaps you're not. And again, I want to say, don't grow weary in doing well. Keep, keep helping them up. Keep restoring them. Stay gentle. If you look at this picture and resonate with that a whole lot more then than the one that I said represented my background. I just wanna encourage you to be kind to yourself. Just be kind to yourself. You might need more help than others, and that's okay. Also, um, something hopeful here, if we can go to the next slide, Um, it's interesting. It's um, It's not like you can't experience some remodeling the way that I did, okay? And so what I believe the Lord, when people come to walk with Jesus and they begin increasingly to saturate themselves with the truth and the beauty and the love of God, um, what happens is walls start getting blown out and, and, and things begin to change. I've seen this happen in many of you. In fact, um, the fear room begins to change as well. I should have had a slide to indicate that, but I think there's probably enough slides. But um, Suddenly, you can find a change of scene that in many of you to where love and hope and peace and joy and worship are like way more accessible than they were before. The, the remodeling um, can certainly happen. Uh, let's do one more slide here. If we can, for just a moment, forget about um, our backgrounds, okay? And let's acknowledge, I talked glowingly about mine, um, and it's, it's true, but it's a mixed bag for me, too. You know? And everybody's got a mixed bag of things that they have in their background. But So forget about background. Let's just say from home base, there are people who over the course of life end up having, life throws them through the wall, and they find themselves with ready access to things like trauma or addiction or depression. And this speaks nothing of their character. It speaks nothing of their strength. It speaks to an outcome of circumstances. So, for example, let's talk about trauma. Um, uh, People who serve in the military are, um, with their courage, making themselves, placing themselves in a position where they're they're vulnerable to incredible and sustained combat and trauma as a result. We should feel really, really grateful, by the way, for the people who have done and are doing that. Um, This Saturday is Veterans Day. Remember? Don't forget Let's just, I want to pause right now. It's a weird time to do it. But I just want to ask, if you served in any branch of the military, active combat, non-combat, not active, anything whatsoever, will you stand right now and just let us say thank you? I know you're in the room. Don't be shy. There's a bunch of you. And thank God for you. Thank God for you. And here's the thing, here's one of the things we should remember and celebrate on Saturday is that when, when, when men and women um, in service and protection of our country put themselves, allow themselves to be placed as that, through that sacrifice in a place where they're surrounded by intensely traumatic scenarios, You know what happens? Again, the the strongest-willed, the most most brilliant, the most determined, the strongest people still, you know what happens? Walls get blown out, and suddenly there's access to trauma in a way that's just different now. That's that's what PTSD is, okay? Um, They experience trauma, and that door gets blown open. And then years later, sometimes decades later, they're in a crowded restaurant, somebody drops a plate, and they're back there, just like that. Mentally, physically, in all the ways, they are back in that place of trauma. A car backfires and everything falls apart in an instant. Why? Because the door to trauma has been blown open. It should be great for the people, grateful for the people who have made themselves vulnerable to things like that. And guys, we should be really, really patient with people. And it's, it's not just the military conflict, life is traumatic. Life throws us through the wall and we, we end up as people who ha- suddenly have access to experience of trauma. It's entirely, it's just different. It's remodeling of our minds. And I, I wanna say more about addiction and depression. I just, these things are very closely related very quickly, if, you, if, if, for example, you experience an incredible loss at a young age and the door to depression gets blown open, do you think if that happens, let's say, when you're six years old, you lose a parent, do you think you're going to visit the depression room a few more times in your life than others might? And do you not think if depression becomes that big a part of your story that addiction's not right next door and you might be more vulnerable to that? It's, we need to understand this and we need to not grow weary in doing well. Okay, I've said too much. Let me invite you to stand for prayer. There's a lot of ways that we might apply this. Um, so I'm just gonna throw several of them out and if you find your spirit just grabbing onto one of those then, then grab on and let your focus be there, okay? Okay. So would you consider for a moment whether or not you're carrying your own load? Yeah, that's, that's what he says. We gotta help each other, but like you gotta carry your own stuff. <laughs> so, we, is there a challenge there from the Spirit for you in that? Um, would you also ask yourself, Am I am I restoring others? When I see someone who's fallen, am I, do I get down there and shoulder the weight? If yes, can you say, Okay, do I do it gently? If you say, yes, I do it, and I do it gently, then I would ask you this, are you growing weary in the doing? Because that's hard. That's hard. And, And when you find yourself doing that again and again for the same people who need the help again and again, I think Paul just wants to encourage you. I think the Spirit of the Lord would want to encourage you. You're sowing really good seed. You will reap a great harvest at the proper time. So don't grow weary in doing good. I think he wants to encourage. He wants to lift up. He wants to say, don't, don't, don't give up. And I think perhaps for a good number of people, um, if you're still thinking about the the mental floor plan I laid out, you you might be, you know, I don't think you can hear an illustration like that and not imagine your own mental floor plan and how it might be for you. And... Uh, I, I just want you to know, like, God does, he still does remodeling, you know? And if you wake up in a place of fear, that's not a life sentence. As you walk with Jesus, that that can begin to change. I've seen it change for many of you, actually. And and maybe, maybe some walls that have been torn down can get rebuilt. Um, I, I'll just tell you, I mean, I, I talked about... It was about six years ago when I felt like those walls got blown out for me and suddenly I've got access to fear and I've got access to grief in a way that was entirely different. You know, since then, the fear wall, that got boarded up. <laughs> Actually, fear's a longer walk for me than it has ever been in my life. The grief wall, he left it open. I have access to grief in a way now that's just so different and it's not going away. And I hate it. I think, I, I'm, I think I've heard from the Lord on this, though, that he said, I'm not, I'm not going to close that up. You're actually a better man and a better pastor if you've got access to grief. I'm leaving it open. And I hate it. I want to wake up in the morning and know exactly where I will be emotionally for the next 24 hours. And I was like that for a long time. It's gone now. It's gone now. So we, we've got—he's the architect, he's the contractor, he decides. But if you find yourself longing for some remodeling, I, I think the Spirit wants to give you faith for that, and maybe He wants to do do some work in that regard. All right, let me just take a moment now to pray, and then we will we will sing together. Father, uh, you're so good, as we said before. Help us. To believe it more, more deeply, to embrace it more fully. You're good. You're good, and you're never going to let us down. Lord, for those of us who maybe aren't carrying our own weight, would you challenge us? For, for those of us who aren't restoring others, we, we welcome your challenge, your conviction. If we're not doing it gently, we say, "Come, Lord, and stir in our hearts that we can do it gently." And if we're growing weary in the doing, we say, "Lord, would you, would you steal us? Would you, would you strengthen us so that we can continue on? Because we know it's good seed, and we know you're going to be with us, and we know we're going to reap a great harvest if we don't give up." Strengthen us, Lord. And for those in the room who hear this illustration and think, "I just I need some remodeling, Lord. I, I I've got such ready access to these." heavy things. I, I, I'm, I'm growing weary in that. Or I've, It's such a journey for me to get to a place of joy or of peace or of worship. God, would you start tearing down some walls and, and do some remodeling, Lord? We, we welcome those renovations. Give us, give us faith that uh, we can trust you as the architect to decide which walls get torn down, which walls get built back. Uh, speak to us, Lord. We love you. Amen.